0: that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Litmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ, and I'd like to begin this episode by reading a few of my favorite passages of Scripture that will kind of serve as a launching point for the episode this evening. I'm going to be using the King James Version, because I have spent so much time with these verses in that translation that I feel extremely comfortable with it. The first is found in John 1, verses 1 through 3. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made skipping down to verse 14 we find and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the father full of grace and truth one more that i would like to consider is the first part of first timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 and without controversy great is the mystery of godliness god was manifest in the flesh My friends, have you ever given serious consideration to what the phrases and the word was God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and then God was manifest in the flesh mean? God lived and walked among us. The very one who made all things was here as a human being. From John chapter 1 verse 14, the word Jesus became flesh from First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, God became flesh. The word for flesh is sarx. According to Vine's Expository Dictionary of New Testament Words, it means, when used with reference to Jesus, by synecdoche of the holy humanity of the Lord Jesus in the totality of all that is essential to manhood, i.e. spirit, soul, and body. Synecdoche simply means part for the whole. In other words, instead of having to say that God became man and all that is essential to manhood, spirit, soul, and body, the scriptures merely use the word flesh in reference to that aspect of Jesus. Jesus was fully man, completely man. But what is so incredible is that he was also fully and completely God at the same time. And I want to talk about that for a while. One of the greatest and most fundamental doctrines of Scripture is the deity of Jesus. There are so many passages to which we could turn where this great and vital truth is taught. But the one passage that sets it forth in its simplest terms is Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9. However, in order to clearly identify who is being talked about, we will include verse 8. The passage says, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The New American Standard translates verse 9 as For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. I want to break this verse down and look at it step by step. We read, For in him in him refers to Jesus the context makes that clear in verse 3 the in whom definitely refers to Jesus of verse 2 and then in verse 5 Jesus is the one in whom they have their faith in verse 6 Jesus is the one in whom they are to walk and in verse 7 he is the one in whom they are to be rooted and built up there's no question that in him in verse 9 refers to Jesus Let's consider the next word. It is in him dwelleth or dwells. The idea is that of a fixed or permanent dwelling. Vine says of this world here that it is used of the indwelling of the totality of the attributes and powers of the Godhead in Christ. As we move on, we find that in him dwells all. That means every and is all inclusive. The next step is in him dwells all the fullness. Fullness means the completed. Simply put, it is that of which a thing is full. What is dwelling in Jesus is all of the fullness of the Godhead or deity. The point is that all that is deity dwelt in Jesus. It is the fullness of God himself. God in all his fullness dwelt in Jesus. In Christ was the completeness of deity. It is the absolute and perfect essential and personal deity of Jesus. Yet here's what makes it so incredible. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead or deity, bodily or in bodily form. The idea is that the fullness of deity really and actually not merely a vision or spirit being But really and actually assumed a bodily form. Jesus became flesh, the totality of everything essential to manhood. So what do we have? We have Jesus being fully God and fully man at the same time while on earth. Some have asked how can that be? And the answer I must give is I don't really know, but I know that it is true. It was never the case that Jesus left some attribute of deity behind when he came to earth. It was what he added. He added to himself the essential nature of man, becoming fully God as he already was, and fully man. Jesus was no less God on earth than he was God before he came to earth, and he was no less God on earth than he was God after he returned to heaven. He possessed while here all of the attributes of deity and all of the attributes of man—you can't be man without the attributes of man, and you can't be deity without the attributes of deity. Now let's talk about the deity of Jesus while on earth. That very truth was foretold. For instance, in Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, we read, "The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord." Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. The word translated Lord in this verse is the word for Jehovah. It is used only of the one true God in the Old Testament, and it is used over 6,000 times. Now in the New Testament, both Matthew and Mark refer to this passage and apply it to John the Baptist, who came preparing the way for Jesus. He came preparing the way for Jehovah, preparing the way for our God. That spoken of by Isaiah in reference to Jehovah is applied by inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Jesus. Look at the beautiful Messianic 45th Psalm, verses six and seven. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of thy kingdom is a right scepter. Thou lovest righteousness and hateth wickedness. Therefore, God, thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Let's go to Psalm 102 and look at verses 24 through 26. I said, O God, take me not away in the midst of my days. Thy years are throughout all generations. Of old hast thou laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of thy hands. They shall perish, but thou shalt endure. Yea, all of them shall wax old like a garment, as a vesture shalt thou change them, and they shall be changed. As we turn once again to the New Testament, let us see to whom these statements we just read are applied. In Hebrews chapter 1 verses 8 through 12, we find, But unto the Son he says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture thou shalt fold them up, and they shall be changed. But thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. These passages were applied to Jesus. There are very few questions that I know of who would deny that Jesus was God on earth. However, there is a school of thought that says, of course he was God, but possessed none of the attributes of deity while on earth. I believe that's unscriptural, not to mention illogical. How could Jesus have been something and not possess the very attributes that made him that thing? Aside, we have already shown that Colossians chapter 2 and verse 9 teaches that Jesus possessed the completeness of deity in bodily form and if the attributes of deity are removed then so is deity. Let's look at some of the things that we can learn about Jesus and the attributes of deity that were his. Such a powerful statement of the divinity of Jesus and his possession of the attributes of deity is found in Luke 5 beginning with verse 17. This was the case of a man sick with palsy being let down into the home where Jesus was through the roof because there were so many people in the home and at the door that they couldn't get in the normal way. We'll begin reading in verse 20 and read through verse 24. And when he saw their faith, he said unto him, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answering said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise and take up thy couch and go into thine house. You know what? The scribes and Pharisees were right in one thing. Only God has the power to forgive sins. That is an attribute of only deity. And Jesus was God on earth. He had power as well over nature. He said to a raging storm of winds and waves, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was great calm in the sea, according to Mark chapter 4 and verse 39. His disciples had a very good question down in verse 41. They said, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? We now know he was God on earth, possessing the power of deity over nature. Jesus had the power of deity over disease. And that power was unencumbered by distance. Remember the centurion's servant? The Lord had power over demons, and they knew that he possessed the attributes of deity. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, the demons said to Jesus, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God? Art thou come hither to torment us before the time? Jesus had power over death, in that he raised Lazarus in John 11. Who has such attributes but God? Along the same line, Jesus had power over his own life. Who has such power but God? In John 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus said, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. He also said, I and my Father are one, in John 10 and verse 30. While we're in the Gospel of John, look at the omniscience of Jesus displayed, another attribute of deity. In John 2 verses 24 and 25 we find, But Jesus did not commit himself unto them, because he knew all men, and needed not that any should testify of man, for he knew what was in man. How could he know that if he had emptied himself of the attributes of deity or chose not to exercise those attributes? Is it possible to find two or clearer statements of omnipotence than Colossians 1, 16 and 17 and Hebrews 1 and verse 3? Look at Colossians chapter 1 verses 16 and 17. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in an earth, visible and invisible whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist. If Jesus left his attributes of deity when he came to earth, then all those things would have to exist, for it is by him that all things continue to exist or are held together. The same point is made in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3. It tells us, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. Do I understand this completely? No, not really. But I'd like to read to you from Robert Milligan's comments about Hebrews chapter one and verse three, because they're very helpful. This is what Milligan wrote about the phrase, upholding all things by the word of his power. He wrote, The influence, whatever it is, is all-pervading and universal. It extends to all things created, whether they be angels, men, suns, moons, stars, comets, systems, or atoms, so that by it the hairs of our head are numbered and the revolutions of the planets are constantly regulated. This much is certain. But is this all? What is it to create and what is it to annihilate? What is it to give life and what is it to take it away? By what means and agencies are the flowers caused to bloom and the fields to yield an abundant harvest? Who can properly estimate the media and mediate and immediate energies and influence by which Christ preserves, upholds, regulates, and governs all things through his vast dominion? If he is himself the foundation of life, then who can say how much and how constantly all things animate depend on him for life and breath and all things? If we live and move and have our being in him, then who is able to estimate or write the degree and the extent of that influence by and through which our adorable Redeemer supports every creature and even every atom to which he has given being? God was here on earth, possessing all and every attribute of deity, but he was also fully man. What an incredible truth that is. Perhaps we'll have more to talk about it in the next episode. Thanks for listening.